If you don't know me, my name's Adrian. Uh, I'll kind of be taking us through this bit. But basically, we're continuing our series that we've entitled Wellbeing. Uh, we've done that not because it's a buzzword in the day and age we live in, but rather we believe it's actually something that, if you like, culture's got hold of in understanding that we are a whole person. Uh, and so therefore, it is talked a lot about, but actually, it's at the very heart of what God has for us as humanity, of his design is that we would live within well-being. In actual fact, when uh, Jesus was explaining what he was going to be able to offer through his life, death, and resurrection, he said that he'd come, in, in through, revealed through the account of John, in order that we'd know life and life in full. And what we've been looking at is what that life in full looks like. And so if we go through... Hopefully some slides will appear in the back. If they don't, I'm going to have to grab some paper because those of you who are regulars here will know that actually I read what's behind it. So if it's not there at that point, I think, oh no, uh, I might undo slightly and ravel, but it'll be okay. But the reality is this, that we've discovered that actually this life in full that Jesus offers is one that is to impact who we are emotionally, mentally, physically, relationally and spiritually. And we've seen that actually each of those five aspects are interwoven. It isn't that any one plays over any other. Actually, God is interested in every single one in order that we'd know well-being within each area. And, and in it, therefore, it's really important that we understand that. We understand that actually we're those that are whole in, as a person. It isn't that one thing kind of heads over all the others. And as today we're going to look, as Mike said, on spiritual well-being, the danger there could be that we say, well, if we're looking at spiritual well-being, that therefore means that the other things aren't spiritual. And therefore God's more interested in this one than the other ones. But that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is actually that each of them, each of these areas, God is well and truly interested in. But in his interest in them, we need to understand that part of our well-being is as humans, we are designed for relationship with God. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, that in terms of our, the whole of who we are, part of it is we are a spiritual being that is designed for relationship with a spiritual being that is God. And part of us ever knowing full well-being will be in relation to how well that relationship with God is going. And maybe we've come this morning, we're saying, well, I, I don't know if I know, even believe that God exists. Or maybe we've come this morning and we're on a journey of saying, well, I, I wonder whether there is a God, but I'm still trying to work this out. My hope is today that it will start to reveal something more of the wonder of what we're called into and what we're created for in respect to relationship with God. But for many of us in this room, actually what we're going to find is that Actually, who we are as individuals, we've come into this realization through Jesus' life, death and resurrection that we put our faith and trust in him, which has opened the door in order that we get to know what it means to enjoy and live in the reality of relationship with God that each and every one of us is offered. But to start us off on that, what I want us to see is actually sometimes we be in us looking to enjoy relationship with God. We kind of get to this point of thinking, well, is this something I've got to work out for myself? I put my trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Is this therefore something I've therefore got to think through? How am I going to live this way? Well, Jesus was really, how oh, we've got there. Jesus saw it so important that we understood that he wasn't leaving us as orphans. And so if we flip through to John 14, Jesus says this. Go one more. So John 14, 15 to 16, Jesus says this, if you love me, in other words, if you've centered your life 
on me, on my life, death, and resurrection, and keep my commands. In other words, live in the good of the life that I've revealed to you. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another. And then our language doesn't quite do this word justice. And so he's talking about the Holy Spirit here. And in the, the original Greek in the, the Bible that was used would have had all of these different expressions to express the one who is part of the Godhead, who is the Spirit that Jesus is saying is going to come and dwell within us. And he says, one who will come as an advocate, a helper, a comforter, an intercessor, a counselor, a strengthener, a companion to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. See, Jesus wants to understand in this call to know spiritual well-being, it isn't something that we're trying to work out by ourselves, but rather something that God himself is working within us to reveal. And so we need to understand that actually once we've sent our life on Jesus, God's Holy Spirit comes and like is a seal within us. It isn't that maybe the Holy Spirit might come and encounter us, dwell within us. No, Ephesians 1 says this, that actually, no, we're now those that are sealed by the Spirit. Through trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and makes its home within us. We then found, find through Scripture that it's not only that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within, it's also that the Holy Spirit comes and overwhelms us. So we find in Acts these moments of the Holy Spirit being talked about like a baptism. Baptism, that word that means like a ship that's been overwhelmed by the sea. There's this knowledge of the Holy Spirit coming and overwhelming us. And that isn't just a one-off instant, it's to be an ongoing life experience. That we're those that are living overwhelmed by the Spirit, knowing that the Spirit is dwelling within us in order that we'd understand the reality of the relationship that we're called to. Now, before we look at that reality, I want us just to ask and pose a question. It's for every single one of us in this room to consider in reality, how would we describe our relationship with God at the moment? Not how would we like to describe it? Not how can I put a positive spin on it? How would you describe it? I've got 12 words, I think, up here. Would you describe it as one that is marked by intimacy? Or maybe it's distant. It's unknown. That should be an end on the end there. Adventurous. It could be better. It's amazing. Maybe it feels a bit dry. Hard work. Non-existent. Occasional. A duty. A life-giving relationship at the moment. What is it for you? Five seconds. What's the word that describes you? Oh, no, you can't allow me just one word. Oh, yes, just one word. Five, four, three, two, one. Turn to someone next to you. This is vulnerable, isn't it, at this point? It was all right me thinking through the one word. Now I'm going to get us to turn to the person next to us and say, what's the one word for us? Not to expose us, but to say, actually, we're in reality here. This is where we're at, because I want us to understand that we move from the place of reality. So let's just share for a moment. That means we can all talk. Go. It's very whispery, isn't it? Okay, I reckon, has everyone shared? No, I haven't. I haven't. (laughs) 
So here we go. Then my vulnerability is this. I'd say that where I'm at in terms of relationship with God at the moment, and some of you can say, well, of course you're going to say that because you're speaking in the front, is life-giving. Now, in it, at that point, you could think, oh, yeah, of course you said that. Well, no, actually, what it means is for me, it's life-giving because I know that if I'm not connected to God at this point in time, I feel very overwhelmed. And so why it's life-giving is maybe it's more like a lifeline. That's where I'm at at the moment. Now, for us this morning, wherever we're at, I want us to understand that God wants to come and meet us in that place. I don't know if you caught that in respect to worship. Just that invitation that God doesn't change, we do. And wherever we're at, God says, no, no, I want to meet you. I want to come and overwhelm you again with my love. I want to kind of remind you of who you are. And I want us to hear that this morning. And then I want us to look at the reality of the relationship that the Holy Spirit longs to reveal to you and to me. And we're going to look at hope in terms of some titles we'll see in terms of time, how far and how deep we go into each of them. As I do want us to end by kind of getting to a point of just worship again, of opening our hearts to God, saying, God, come and meet with me. Come and bring the reality of what we're looking at. Because Spirit, we don't want this to just be a moment thing. We think, oh, that's nice. We want it to come and change our lives. But we're going to look at identity, freedom, shape, and power. That's what I believe the Holy Spirit is longing to do within each and every one of us, to understand this relationship with God that we're invited into in order that we know that we're on this path of a lifelong adventure of well-being, which is an aside. Can I just say that in this series of well-being, it's not about a preaching series. It isn't about each week going, all right, that's it. Mike did a cracking job, didn't he, last week in terms of our mental well-being. The, all right, mental well-being, tick, done. We did that last Sunday. Let's move on. No, no, this is now a moment of saying, I now get a life to enjoy this invitation to well-being. Therefore, it's going to take time for me to live in the good of it. The reality is this, some of the negative ways of thinking that Mike outlined last week will take us 12, 24 months to live free of. And I just not want to think, oh, no, I'm failing. No, no, you're gradually changing. If you've had a way of thinking that's marked you for 20, 30 years, I tell you what, it takes a bit of time to retrain yourself to think a different way. But we're going to see through today that we don't do it alone. So let's start off then in terms of identity. As Emma has already read out, what a fantastic moment. I was like thinking all the way through worship, oh, this is what I'm speaking on, this is what I'm speaking on. Thank you, God, you're covering the bases because you know I may not do it justice. Identity, Romans 8, 15, 16 says this, the spirit you received, remember, the Holy Spirit that is within you, once you put your faith in Jesus, not spirit some of us have received, no, no, every single person in this room, as you put your faith in Jesus, the spirit is in you. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought you about, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Spirit comes and reveals our identity as those who are adopted. Now I want us to understand that adoption is in the broadest possible sense. It isn't just impacting that we come as here it says, God, we now approach you as Father. We'll look at that in a moment as that is part of our status here, our identity, but actually it's an understanding that we become children of God. God who in himself is Father, Son, and Spirit. And why is that important? 
Because it means that we're being drawn in to a family. A family that has existed for all eternity. A family that's been characterized for all eternity by love. Father, Son, and Spirit continuously, eternally loving one another. Why is that important? Because it means that everything that then comes out of God, who is community, who is family, who is love, is created out of an overflow of his abundant love. Not out of a sense of need. It isn't that the Godhead was there in eternity and suddenly thought, I'm a bit bored. We need some worship. Someone who can, some people who can come and just honor us. No, no, it's that God out of the overflow of his love towards one another said, no, let's out of this overflow of love create and draw others into this love. So what does adoption mean? Well, in this, it's always bad to sit on the front row. Um, in some ways, great leg room. Unfortunately, I will then pull you in. I need three people. Let's go for Richard, Colin and Catherine. What I want you to do simply is to hold hands in a circle. I've used this illustration before. I never apologize for using it because I think it's so important. Just look at each other and just realize how much you love one another. Because what we've got here, and it could be any way, we're going, we're going to go Father, Son, Spirit. This isn't a theological statement. This is just a way of us revealing it. So what we've got is the Godhead here, eternally joined in loving community. The Father loving the Son who's loving the Spirit. The Spirit loving the Son who's loving the Father. The Father, the Son who's loving the Spirit who's loving the Father, eternally dwelling in love. That's the Godhead. One, but three, living within unity, community, one will between them. And out of it, we're then drawn in as what? Adopted children into this family. What does that therefore not mean? It doesn't mean we're servants. It doesn't mean that we put our faith in Jesus and suddenly we say, oh, how we relate to God as we come and say, what is your bidding? Thank you so much for giving me this amazing salvation. But what is your bidding? I can't possibly go near you. But just tell me what to do. I won't look at you. I must come in fear and trembling because who am I compared to you? It's not that. It doesn't say that, does it? Romans 8, you are now slave servants of God. No, it doesn't say that. It says you're now adopted as children. I'll tell you what it doesn't mean as well. It doesn't mean that we're servant slaves. It also doesn't mean that we're onlookers. Looking in think, wow, wow, wow. This is amazing. It's not that. It's that we're drawn in. Declared adopted, declared as those that are now in the family eternally forever. That can never, ever be broken. So that I then get to join in the family. I get to eternally know that I am loved as the Father, as the Spirit, as the Son have always loved. They love me like that now. I get to know that this is what it means to dwell as a child of God. And the Spirit is coming continuously to cause us in the very core of our beings to understand this is the truth. Thank you very much. Because what happens in that moment is that the Spirit is testifying the very core of who we are. It's like this is your identity now. You're a child of God. Therefore, yes, you can cry, Abba, Father. Because you know this is how you're eternally relating to God. 
See, our spiritual well-being has to start with this point. And I will spend more on this than anything else. On our identity in God, because it's this that changes everything forever. Because unless we get this point clear, that we are now, forever, eternally, never able to be changed, a child of God, we'll never, ever get anything else. Some of you think, no, no, I don't think that's true. I, I Come and argue with me afterwards, and we'll argue it through. I haven't got time today to do it. But I promise you, this is the most fundamental truth that will change your life forever. Because it will uh, unravel everything else. Because suddenly you'll realize, all right, that's how I can know freedom. Because of the reality of the status and the identity I now have. Because I'm more loved than I can ever dare to believe. Not because of anything you've done. Not because of anything you will do. But because of what Jesus has done. Which brings us on to the next part of identity, which is we are loved. We are loved by God as God has loved God. We have this moment in scripture where we see this eternal relationship of love break out in the earth. You know, when we sing songs like, heaven come down, whatever it is, it was a spirit break out, isn't it? Heaven come down on earth. We can think, oh, heaven. No, heaven is a place where God dwells. That's what heaven is, God's dwelling place. And saying, what is true and seen eternally in heaven where God dwells, would it come now and break out on the earth? And this is moment where suddenly heaven breaks out, a statement, a song that has gone on throughout all eternity, where the Father declares over the Son, at the Son's baptism in water. No one knew who Jesus was at that point. Let's remember that. Jesus' baptism was just another guy along. John the Baptist knew, and he's like, Behold the Lamb of God! And everyone's like, What are you talking about? And Jesus comes, baptized like everyone else. He's there, and John's saying, Why are you coming? Because we need to fulfill the Scriptures, John. So Jesus is baptized, comes out, but this is a baptism like no other. Because suddenly heaven cannot stay silent. Heaven can no longer just be where God dwells. It has to break out onto the earth. And in that moment breaks out. And the father says this. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. God did it in a moment to reveal the wonder of who his son was. But through revealing the wonder of how he sees his son, it would reverberate throughout eternity in order that you and I would know we are now like Jesus. That as the father proclaimed over Jesus, he proclaims over you, he proclaims over me. That He breaks into our lives and says, as a child of mine, and I know this one, Adrian Hurst, all his flaws, all his failings, doesn't matter. I love him. Forever. And I'm so proud of him. And you know what? It isn't just for me. It's for you. That God is continually longing to break out. To declare over our days. This is the one I love. This is the one I'm well pleased with. I'm reading a fantastic book at the moment. uh, Called The Liturgy of the Ordinaries. We recommend it in the Oasis Life. And this is uh, what the writer says about this verse. It says, as Christians, this is uh, Trish Harrison Warren, as Christians, we wake each morning as those who are baptized, in other words, those who are united with Christ. We are united with Christ and the approval of the Father is spoken over us. We are marked from our first waking moment by an identity that is given to us by grace. In other words, we did nothing to deserve it. We've just woken up into it. 
And our identity that is deeper and more real than any other identity we will don on that day. Now, how many of us start a day thinking, oh man, there's these work pressures. Let's check social media. Let's kind of go through, oh yeah, put on my clothes. I'm putting on thinking about work, thinking about maybe your kids. I've got to get them up and thinking about that. Maybe a relationship. How am I doing on that? And donning on all these different identities. And yet the key identity we need to live with is the one that's afforded to us at no expense, that's there for the taking. It's just whether we're taking it is this, that in that moment as we bleary-eyed come to to reality again, is the Father is declaring, has been waiting all night over us, waiting for us to wake up so we could hear again. This is the one I love. With them I'm well pleased. Man, I've barely woken up. I'm not very nice in the morning, God. I need some coffee in my system to wake up. And the father says, doesn't matter. I still love you because I love you because I love you because I love you because I love you. I'm still well pleased with you. Is that how you start your day? Just coming to and thinking, wow, the father loves me. The father loves me. God, the Holy Spirit, God, Jesus loves me. And he's well pleased with me. I haven't done anything. Like literally nothing. I've woken up. And the reality is all I've done is I've stepped in to a reality that was covering me all the way from my sleep. This is the invitation. The spirit is longing to come and burst within us in order that we'd live in this reality. See, in it, it then means that we get to live understanding how we approach God in our identity. We don't approach God with a sense of stranger. We, we approach God as an in, in intimacy. Understanding, we, we approach a father who is after our best, desiring good for us. The spirit is longing to well up from within, to overwhelm us, to allow us to know the reality of this. And for some of us, that's a track that just needs to keep being renewed. Because for too long, we lived in a different track, which said, you don't deserve love. Or you can only be loved if it's like this. And we have to undo that and change the track and say, God, I listen to how you speak over me. And you say, actually, there's nothing I can do to make you love me anymore or less. You just love me because you love me. And for some of that, the spirit is longing to burst out that we live in that. The other three are going to be pretty quick, so hold on to your seats. Second one, freedom. The Holy Spirit comes to bring freedom within us as we live in the the light of this relationship we have in God. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit. God is Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Isn't where the Spirit of the Lord is, there might be freedom? Isn't where the Spirit of the Lord is, if someone's kind kind of really passionate front row Christian, there is freedom? No, it's where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where's the Spirit of the Lord? In you? Sorry. I know we don't do this very often, but I feel it's important today. If you're a follower of Jesus, where is the Spirit of the Lord? Is it in you? Right, we need to convince ourselves of that. Because the Spirit of the Lord is in you, which means the Spirit of the Lord is seeking to bring freedom within you. That's so powerful. We're not trying to do this by ourselves. This isn't a self-help guide. This is us coming in and submitting and drawing alongside the Spirit, saying, Spirit, would you come 
And would you lead me into the freedom that you afford me through what Jesus has done through his life, death, and resurrection? That's what the Spirit's longing to do. So the Spirit comes to bring us freedom from guilt and shame. So Romans 8 says, there's now no condemnation. That's what Jesus has afforded us. No condemnation for what we've done or what's been done to us. We don't need to be those that are characterized by guilt or shame. But the thing is, guilt and shame permeate who we are. It's like they're ugly. They kind of cause us to feel like we've been marinating in it. And for some of us, we've been marinating in guilt and shame for years. And we need to understand the Spirit comes in order that we'd know freedom. Now, freedom doesn't come quickly sometimes. Now, some of you think, no, 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 freedom comes like that. Yeah, freedom, we are free, but we are being made free. And the Spirit, therefore, is coming to bring us freedom. Yes, Jesus has said, now you're no longer guilty. Now you're no longer to be living under shame. But for some of us, going back to that, we need a new way of thinking. We need to allow the Spirit to come and say, where I've soaked in this guilt and shame, it's just going to take a while of me soaking in what you say, Spirit, where I'm free from this. Totally loved. Totally accepted. And I need to just spend time saturating. I know some of my friends who are saturating in the freedom the Spirit gives them for decades. Because such was the horror of what was done, or sometimes what they did. And it doesn't limit what God can do, but it just takes time. So freedom from guilt and shame, freedom from sin. The stuff that falls short of who God is. The stuff that we do where we say, actually, I'm going to become the boss of my life again. We think, oh, well, I can never say, I can never give that up. It's always going to be there. And the Spirit saying, no, no, I can bring you freedom from everything. There's nothing that you can't say no to. It's just drawing on the spinner. It's not, Spirit, it's not willpower. It's saying, God, come and give me the ability to say no to this. I ask you now. It's not just that. It's also freedom from fear. I haven't got time to paint the full picture. The Holy Spirit comes to bring freedom from fear because the Holy Spirit comes and reveals the wonder of how we are loved with perfect love. And his perfect love drives out fear. Now in that you can say, oh, Adrian, that's totally fine, isn't you? It's fine, you sit at the front, you can say that stuff. I'll tell you how I know it is because I lived for about 15 years unable to live in well-being because I was totally overwhelmed by fear. Fear of what could happen to me. And I used to max that out multiple times at the worst possible case scenarios. And that's what I lived with. Fear of how I compared to other people. Fear of what other people thought of me. And that's what characterized my life. And I genuinely could not see. I understood who Jesus was. I understood his life, death and resurrection. I could see that it caused me to now know eternal relationship with God. But in terms of fear, I thought, but I can't even see how this can be free. I can be free from this. It feels too much who I am. And over time, what I realized is the Spirit has come to bring me freedom. And that freedom looked like this. It was a combination of me realizing that I had a choice in every moment to choose either a pathway of fear or a pathway of trusting in God. I also had this Spirit that was within me saying, I've got you. You can walk in freedom. So that now I can look on 10 years of freedom because I'm old. And I can look back and say 10 years, well, it's just longer than that because I'm older than I thought. 
It's nearly 20 years. <laughs> Dear me. And I can look back and I can think, if only I could have broken in to a 19, 20, 20-year-old Adrian and said, you know what, it won't ever always be like this. You will know freedom in an area you, you could dare not believe. And now I'm able to stand here and say, I can. And what's been true for me can be true for you. That we don't need to live robbed by fear because the Spirit comes to bring freedom. Where are we at? Two more to go with two minutes. Shape. And these ones are easy, actually. Shape. The Spirit is coming within us to shape us of how we look to others, of how we interact with others, how we interact with the world. Like when you go into those house of mirrors and you kind of go in, it distorts who you are. The Spirit isn't coming to distort us. It's actually coming to reveal the true nature of who we're meant to be. So we find in Galatians 5, 23, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Spirit is longing to produce this fruit in your life and my life. The question is, are we? Whoa, that's a bit uncomfortable. My barometer to understand how am I doing my spiritual well-being is to come back and say, am I revealing these things to people around me? And what it often reveals to me is, Holy Spirit, I need more of you. Let's be those who don't settle with comparisons to others. Let's be those that live in the life that Jesus promised, the life in full, which is the Spirit is longing to lead us in to these ways of living. So we come and say, Holy Spirit, would you cause me to live in the good of this? In order, this isn't like some bolt on, oh no, I'll be joyful today. No, it comes from within. I tell you what, when you wake up and remember, Father shouting over you, this is the one I love. This is the one I'm well pleased. Wow, that's a way to start the day. Who cares what other people's Facebook statuses are? Who cares how good their holiday looks? Or what they ate? Just as an aside, I don't care what you eat. Please stop putting pictures on. Um, there's, in that moment, what I'm able to do is say, God, what joy comes in me. I know that life isn't great at the moment, but you sing over me with your love that's eternal. That causes me to know whatever life throws at me, I can know the peace of just knowing that you love me because you love me. Even just that we shape, we need to also know the Spirit is there to give us power. Just read this. This is the reality of the one who is dwelling within you, within me. And we need to pray this. Can we close our eyes? I'm going to pray this verse over us. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance. That's everything we've looked at in terms of your identity. And his incomparably, incomparably great power for us who believe. That power, that's the Holy Spirit living in you, living in me, is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. That is the power that is in you, amen. We need to pray that over ourselves daily. Which leads us to this point. How do we live in the reality of this relationship? I'd say we live in it as we would with any other relationship. Understanding that it's a mix of quality time and quantity of time. It means that we have to spend and 
mark our days to say, actually, I'm going to live Holy Spirit today with time out with you. And I'm not going to specify how long that is. And in that time out with you, that's taking hold of the Bible and taking hold of the truth that's there that Holy Spirit is wanting to reveal and uh, draw into us. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to come and cause us to experience all that I've spoken of. It's those moments, but it's also throughout the day, the quantity of just allowing moment by moment to do what we've always talked about, to pause. Throughout our day, just pause and say, God, in this moment, I sense your again in your Holy Spirit. I come and draw in everything of who you are into who I am. And then I continue. A relationship to be built has to always be built with quality and quantity. If I was to say to Lucy, I tell you what, I'm going to spend an hour with you a day. That's it. Our relationship wouldn't be very good. It's built on quality time and quantity time. Those of you who wonder who Lucy is, Lucy's my wife. Which leads us to this last question. What are you going to do? So if we go to the last slide. What is the one thing you're going to do out of this morning? That's it. What's the one thing you're going to do? And then I want to see, if you're in a small group this week, I'd like us to start off with that. Say, this is the one thing I'm trying to do. If you're not in a small group, find someone at the end of this morning saying, hey, this is the one thing I'm trying to do. Would you help me, support me, encourage me in doing this? Just close our eyes. Just a way of not getting distracted by others. Well, just there's two two groups of people I'm going to pray for. Um, I'm not going to ask you to come in front. I'm just going to pray for you where you are. The first group is just maybe you've come this morning and you maybe you, you've never said Jesus I want you at the centre of my life, or maybe you've been living knowing that you did say that once, but you know that it's not been true recently. And today is the moment where you just realise Jesus, I get it. I get that what you say over me is that in you is everything I've ever wanted. I get to be loved. And in a moment, I'm just going to ask you to respond by just putting your hand up. I'll count to three so you know where it's at, where you're at, saying, this is me. I want in. And then at the very end, I want you to just come and speak to me. I'd love to share with you. The other group is just that you know you've centered your life on Jesus. But you just know that this whole thing, that you're a child of God, is something you know you can sing in a song, but it's like today you just say, I don't want this just to be words that I sing. I want it to be a destination I now live for. And for you, it's like, it's not that suddenly everything's necessarily going to magically change, but it's kind of like a, a line in the ground moment. I remember with fear of just drawing a line in the ground and saying, that's it, no further. And I can still think back a Sunday morning, saying that was it, line in the ground. And from that point on, it was the adventure and the hard sometimes moments of choices and living in the good of. And just for some of us, it's like, Today is the line in the ground moment saying, this is a moment I'm going to live from this point on as a child of God. I'm starting to live in the good of what you're proclaiming over me every morning I wake up to the moment I go back to sleep. And through the night, you're just singing it over me. Now, for you also, want to just put your hand up or count to three. I'm just going to pray for those two groups of people. So one, two, three. Just put your hand up where you are. Thank you. A number of people put their hands up. 
Jesus, I thank you for every individual in this room. Jesus, I thank you that you are a loving Father who just welcomes us. I thank you for those that are just, you know, they've kind of been away from you. And this is a moment of just turning back to you or turning to you. I thank you that your longing is just to embrace. And you just say, welcome home. And I pray for those of us who know that we, know you're at the center, but we just know we live from a different destination. That today we're saying we're going to live from this destination that you've proclaimed over us. That we're now your children, Father. That your blood does run through our veins. That as you are, we are. And we are now forever loved. And I pray, God, for something to, to, to go on within us. I pray for tomorrow morning when we wake up. I pray, God, that the first thing that comes into mind is those words you spoke over Jesus, you now speak over to us. That you forever love us. And you're well pleased with us. And I pray, God, that would characterize our life increasingly in order that we'd live knowing the freedom that you've got for us. Amen.